Power Zone Sports Podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, and Star Alvarado, our Bay Area Realtor. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one. Swan Lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is going to win. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome into the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. I appreciate you finding us, and boy, oh boy, did we have some wild finishes in the NCAA tournament in the first and second round, Uh, some massive upsets, some regions that are completely blown up, as in the South and the East. We have Princeton, a 15 seed in the Sweet 16. We had a 14, I mean, excuse me, a 13 seed in Furman win a game. We had no 12 seeds win a game. And surprisingly, we've not had an overtime game yet, as of yet, heading into uh, the Sweet 16. And did we have a massive bad beat on the last play of the second round late Sunday night between. Gonzaga and TCU. If you didn't see that, Gonzaga, a four and a half or so point favorite in the game. TCU's down by four with about five, six seconds left in the game. They miss on their final attempt. And of course, TCU then commits a foul against Gonzaga with 0.7 seconds left in the game. The the free throws take the score from four points to Gonzaga up six with .7. So you think you're dead if you had TCU plus the four and a half. But lo and behold, TCU rolls the ball in bounds. The ball rolls some 65 or 70 feet down the court before the TCU offensive player touches it. While the ball is rolling in bounds, everybody on Gonzaga and TCU are hugging. Everybody but one guy, of course. The guy who's going to now pick the ball up and heave in about a 35-footer for TCU at the gun. It's nothing but the bottom of the net. And now the score goes from TCU losing by six to TCU losing by three. So everybody who had the TCU ticket plus four and a half is doing backflips. I was in the company of somebody who had such a scenario. And if you had Gonzaga minus the four and a half, you are screaming and cursing at your TV as loudly and as violently as you can late in the night on Sunday night. So those are that's the uh, that is what is called, as Scott Van Pelt likes to say, a bad beat in your eye hole scenario. So hopefully, if you didn't have Gonzaga minus the four and a half. I'm sure there were lots and lots of dollars in Las Vegas that that swung and all around the country at your local man or online for those of you that played Gonzaga and TCU on Sunday. So before we have a great show for you, we are going to talk to Tim Brando. Tim, we all everybody knows Tim Brando from Fox Sports, longtime uh, 
uh, host on CBS for the SEC on CBS and college basketball. He's been with Fox Sports now for uh, numerous years covering college football and does play-by-play for the uh, for college basketball. Tim's gonna Tim's joining the uh, podcast as part of a simulcast interview I did with along with Mike Grace, the host of the Press Box radio show that I also help co-host from time to time. Mike and I interviewed Tim on uh, Tuesday morning, and so uh, Tim had some great insights on the on the Sweet Sixteen, some of the results from the first couple first weekend, some coaching news. He gave some thoughts on that. Who he has in his Final Four. Uh, he did have Arizona, by the way, kind of like I did, which I'll get into that in a minute. But he had Arizona, so he had to t- do a mea culpa on uh, Twitter, which he did. But Tim's going to do a great job breaking down the bracket for us. And again, he had, Tim covered the Big East extensively throughout the season for Fox, as well as the Big Ten and the Big 12. So you're going to hear some great insight from Tim about the team's remaining storylines, coaches, and all that kind of good stuff. So enjoy Tim Brando. Before we get to Tim... Uh, and again, I want to give a shout out to Mike Grace. Pressboxradio.com is the website. Uh, you can also download the free uh, app on your favorite uh, Google or, or not Google, but Apple or favorite app store that you like. Free the Pressbox. And again, show is on Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. in the East. Uh, and you can listen to it on demand anytime at Pressboxradio.com. You might hear this guy's voice. And again, Mike has, does a great job having guests from all over the country. Uh, very, very well versed. We talk a lot of SEC stuff, but we talk a lot of stuff nationally to whatever's going on in the world of sports. So definitely check that out. But again, before I get to Tim Brando, I'm going to uh, give you some thoughts on a couple of topics um, as we move through to the suite. Let's, let's hit the bracket first. Again, what a weekend it was. Again, surprising there was not any overtime games. There was a couple of buzzer beaters. How about Furman taking out Virginia early on Thursday with the uh, inexplicable play by the Virginia point guard? And even more more inexplicably, what is Tony Bennett not doing calling a timeout there late in the game? If you saw the game in Orlando, Kihei Clark, the point guard, got stuck in the in his backcourt in the back near the baseline through a kind of a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook pass just past half court to nobody but Furman. Furman guy makes a catch, makes a one one pass to Pagese, and Pagese hits a great three-pointer with about two seconds to go in the game to give Furman the lead. They held on to win. If you haven't seen it, you got to find it. Check out the Kevin Harlan call on Twitter. You'll see the, uh, the camera on Kevin Harlan, CBS, Stan Van Gundy, Dan Bonner, the call of Harlan calling that uh, tremendous three-pointer by Furman at the end. What a call by Furman. Just the antics and the gyrations of him and Stan and Dan Bonner at the, uh, uh, on the broadcast. Find it on Twitter. It's, it's, it's classic. If you're into the broadcasters, it's awesome. It's a, uh, it's a tremendous job by uh, Kevin Harlan describing the action and, and what it's like to be a broadcaster in a big moment. So we had the first upset there, Virginia. Uh, you had San Diego State get out of that bracket, Alabama, and then Maryland. Alabama, San Diego State advance. So you got the one matchups in the in the South. Alabama, San Diego State. The bottom half of that bracket, you're going to have. Uh, you also had some other carnage. You had the other stunner in the South. Princeton takes out Arizona. You talk about a team that just clammed up the last five minutes. That was Arizona. Another disappointing uh, march for Arizona. Princeton 
beats Mizzou in the second in round two, dominates Mizzou to get to the Sweet 16 where they'll take on Creighton. So what a job by Mitch Henderson at Princeton, the the former player back in 96 when Pete Carrill and Princeton stunned the defending national champion uh, UCLA Bruins. Remember that team? Toby Bailey and company. Um, Remember Princeton stunned them. Uh, Mitch Henderson was a player on that team. He's now the head coach at Princeton. What a job by uh, the Princeton Tigers as they head to Louisville to see Creighton in the Sweet 16. Down in the down in the East bracket, the other bracket of carnage, you have uh, Purdue. Obviously, takes a scud by FDU. What a job by uh, Tobin Anderson at FDU, who's now the Iona coach and took over for Rick Pitino as of this recording. But FDU, the smallest team in the country from a height perspective, facing the facing the probable player of the year in Zach Eady, the seven foot four guy for Purdue, and it, once again Purdue, Matt Painter just you know takes the gas pipe in this tournament. The last three years. Purdue has lost to a 16 FDU, lost last year in the Sweet 16 to a 15 St. Peter's, and the year before losing the first round to a 13 North Texas. Wow. I mean, what a, you know, you hate to say it, but the kids at Purdue, they were just scared to death of the ball. They wanted no part of that ball late in the game on the perimeter. Zach Eady doesn't get a field goal attempt the last 12 minutes. They don't shoot a two-point shot in the last the last six minutes of that game. Nothing but three-pointers. And the guys on that perimeter, the freshman guards and the small forwards, we are were scared to death to shoot the ball. Had no interest in shooting, and it showed. But what a job by FDU getting the making it the, the second team to ever as a 16 to win. Obviously, UMBC a few years back against Virginia, but FDU faces faced FAU in round two. FAU took care of FDU in another very competitive game. So FAU, everybody's a little, a lot of people had them as a sleeper early on. They are in the Sweet 16 at the bottom half of that, uh, and they'll face Tennessee, who took out Duke in a little bit of a surprise in round two. And at the bottom half of that bracket, you're going to have another, some more carnage. You're going to have Michigan State, who was a seven. They beat Marquette, and they'll be facing the the three seed, Kansas State, who disposed of Kentucky. So you got FAU, Tennessee, Michigan State, and Kansas State going to Madison Square Garden for the Sweet 16 as well. Remember, no five seeds beat at a beat a 12 this year. Usually that's a uh, automatic at least one 12 wins. Not this year, but you did have a, 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 a 16 and a 15 win, so you had plenty of carnage on the left side of your bracket. Uh, in the Midwest, you had uh, heading to K- uh, Kansas City, Missouri. You had Houston take care of uh, Auburn in the second round. I remember Auburn was controversially put in Birmingham for basically a home game in round two. They beat Iowa round one. What a gritty job by Houston to get through that that game. They were down 10 to Auburn at the half, outscoring by 27 in the second half. So great job by Houston. And most of their uh, damage was done late in the second half with Sasser and Sheed on the bench with foul trouble. They really extended the lead with those two guys on the bench the last eight, you know, from about the nine-minute mark to about the three-minute mark. Those guys were out of the game, and what a job by Houston and Kelvin Sampson to get into the Sweet 16, where they will see the Miami Hurricanes, who took out my Indiana Hoosiers in uh, the second round in a little Miami-Indiana 
uh, double double dose of crime. How about the Indiana women going down to Miami the next night on Monday night? Indiana was one, a number one seed in the women's tournament. Miami knocks out the the Indiana women's team as well. So in back to back nights, Miami men's and women's team knock out Indiana from the from both tournaments. So Larinaga, what a great coach he is with his run at George Mason. At the bottom half of that Midwest bracket, you, you had a little bit of chalk there. You have. Xavier got to the Sweet 16. And they will play Texas, who uh, disposed of Penn State. Penn State coach is Shrewsbury. He's now taking the job at Notre Dame. So Texas, Rodney Terry, what a job he's done as the interim coach. You'll hear Tim Brando talk a little bit about Rodney Terry. Uh, but they will play Xavier in the uh, Sweet 16 in Kansas City. And Houston will see Miami in Kansas City as well. Bottom half of the bracket in the uh, West region. I think this is the best region of, of contending teams left. I think this is going to be a great Sweet 16 and Final Eight out here in the West, out in Las Vegas. Arkansas takes care of Kansas in the second round, knocks out the number one seed Jayhawks. Remember, no Bill Self in round two. He was out recovering from his uh, medical procedure. But Eric Musselman continues to be a giant killer in the uh, NCAA tournament while he's been at Arkansas. Another great job as a mid-level seed. Uh, you saw him take his shirt off post-game and all that stuff. And in, the, in, the, in that half of the uh, West bracket, you have UConn, who took care of both Rick Patino and Iona, and then St. Mary's in round two. What balance for UConn. Great job by the, the Huskies. Sonogo is a beast in the middle. Got a good point guard in Hawkins. You're going to hear again, Tim, Tim Tim will talk about the Huskies a little bit. But again, I like UConn uh, in, in Arkansas. And at the bottom half of the West, you have a classic matchup out West. You have UCLA, who took care of Northwestern. And then you had the Gonzaga TC, who beat TCU, which we just talked about in the bad beat segment. They will meet in the other Sweet 16 in Las Vegas. Again, classic, a really good West, West Coast matchup. UCLA defensively oriented. Tiger Campbell. You got Haquez, and then you got Drew. You got Timmy Time, uh, Mark Few, a little under the radar in Gonzaga this year. We should be a great Sweet 16 battle. Uh, I like in the to get out of these brackets with who's left. I like Texas. I like Gonzaga. I like God. This this this. Uh, you gotta like Alabama in the South and in the East bracket. I'm gonna I'm gonna take. Um, I'm going to go a little off the radar here. I'm going to go Kansas State in a stunner out of the East bracket to beat both Tom Izzo, and then I think they're going to see Tennessee and Rick Barnes in the Elite Eight, but I'm going to go Jerome Tang in Kansas State, the little point guard. Noel was a difference maker in round two against Kentucky, so I'm going to go Kansas State, Alabama, Texas. You very much could have a Texas-Houston showdown to get to Houston for the Final Four. I'm going to take Texas, and I'm going to take Gonzaga. I'm sorry. I'm going to take UConn to get to the Final Four, not Gonzaga. My mistake. I'm taking UConn to the Final Four as well. So um, I think UConn's got a great chance to win this thing. I think I think it's going to be UConn and Alabama in the final, and I'm going to go UConn Huskies to win the national title. Dan Hurley and company for the Huskies is going to be my my selection there. So um, so there's your March Madness. Let's transition to Antoine Davis. You're saying, who's Antoine Davis? Well, Antoine Davis is the kid from the University of Detroit who came up just shy of breaking Pistol Pete Maravich's record for college scoring total points in a career. 
Remember, Antoine Davis made some comments this week how he feels like he was cheated. His team was 14-19 and at University of Detroit, coached by his dad, Mike Davis, the former Indiana coach, former Alabama player. Antoine said he was cheated about not getting an opportunity to be in the CBI tournament um, to break the Pete Maravich's record. Well, let's let, let, let's go over a couple things here, Antoine. First of all, you've had five. You you got an extra year of eligibility due to COVID. No fault of your own, but you got to play five years of college basketball to to break a potentially break a record that Pete Maravich broke in three years. So that's first thing. So you got to play probably thirty five, at least thirty five, if not about probably fifty to sixty games more than Pistol Pete got to play to play in his career at LSU. Number two, don't say you got cheated, man. You have a great accomplishment. You're you were a hell of a player, great shooter, great scorer. But you, as a, on a 14 and 19 team, have no business playing in a postseason game, none whatsoever. Either do one of two things: either make a couple more shots during the regular season, or two, will your team to a few more wins. Okay, 14 and 19 has zero business being invited to anything postseason related. And for you to say you were cheated out of an opportunity to break the record is just out of touch, no self-awareness, and I and, and, and I bl- put a little bit of blame on Mike Davis, the dad, as well. Mike should be the guy that should be able to tell Antoine, hey, man, you had a great career. Don't be disparaging another guy who broke a record, uh, who's, who's the record leader. You had every opportunity in the world, way more opportunity than, than any virtually any other player in history would have had to break that record. You had a hell of a career. We'll all know you're the number two guy on the list, but let's don't be making comments of disparaging uh, other people and saying somebody, a group of people cheated you and not giving you a bid to the CBI. So I'm down on you, Antoine Davis. That's a, that's just a bad look for you, your university, and your dad as well. So down on Antoine Davis about that. So, uh, so there's your basketball notes. Let's transition to the uh, World Baseball Classic. We had a uh, wild finish on Wednesday or Tuesday night, excuse me, in Miami, Japan beats the United States in the WBC final 3-2. We got the matchup, the dream matchup that we were hoping for to potentially end this game. Shohei Otani came in in relief for for the Japan team and he got to face his teammate and arguably the you know, the first or second best player in baseball behind Otani, Mike Trout, his own teammate with the Angels. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, three to two lead, and Shohei Otani takes care of business with striking out Mike Trout on a three-two pitch. Great job by Otani and the Japanese team. Again, just a very riveting finish to the game. Is it an all-time classic at bat? No. Uh, it is a it's a great moment for J- Japanese baseball beating the United States in in Miami. Um, again, a very competitive World Baseball Classic. So much nationalism you saw, especially by the by the Dominican teams, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, all these different teams from uh, Central and South America competing in Mexico. Very competitive. What a, you know, just a lot of kind of a World Cup atmosphere. Fans from all over the world came to Miami, fill up that, that stadium for the quarterfinals and semifinals and finals. Great job by Miami in, the, in, in hosting those events as well as in Arizona. But, um, again, not an all-time great, uh, you know, finish. But it was it was what Major League Baseball couldn't have asked for anything better than that. They're two star players facing each other on the same team. 
That's the matchup we wanted to see with the game on the line. You got to see it. Shohei Otani strikes out Mike Trout to clinch it for Japan. Good for the Japanese. And then you get, now we got the baseball season will start in about a week. We, we're going to try to have our baseball analyst, Chris Perez, the all-star close, former closer, Cleveland Indians, on the podcast next week. Give you a little baseball preview as we head into opening day in about eight or nine days. So look out for Chris Perez next week on the podcast. Give you a little preview of uh, MLB heading into opening day. Last thing I want to talk about, you're hearing some rumblings out of ESPN that there probably is going to be some mass layoffs by ESPN in the coming weeks. So, um, you know, I know if you remember ESPN laid off a bunch of people a couple of years ago following COVID, but it sounds like I read an article uh, in the New York Post. uh, I believe it was Andrew Marchand. Uh, outlining kind of the, what what's expected at ESPN here in the coming weeks and a couple months. And it sounds like there will be some big names from ESPN let go as part of this uh, layoff scenario. So it'll uh, be interesting to see which names get let go. Look for some guys that make a lot of money at ESPN to be let go. I mean, it sounds like Scott guys like Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith uh, are safe, but it, there could be some guys. I heard the name of potentially Chris Fowler, maybe some, you know, Sounds like Buck and Aikman are safe, but there'll be some guys, some very known names that are probably going to be laid off by ESPN here in the coming weeks or a couple of months. So that'll be that's just an interesting story to be on the be, be paying attention to. Uh, obviously, ESPN is going through some media rights issues and things like that. So check out that uh, p- potential story moving forward. So there's some uh, notes for you. Again, Timmy B coming up here in just a couple minutes. My chat and myself and Mike Grace's chat with Timmy B concerning all things NCAA tournament. And if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform. Appreciate you finding us and reach out to me on Twitter at JPO Sports. Uh, on Twitter, love to hear from you, hear what you think. And again, check out press the Pressbox Radio Show, pressboxradio.com. Or if you want to download the app, go to your favorite uh, app store and you can do that for free as well. So appreciate you finding us. Hang around. Timmy B will be coming up in just a minute. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us. We've got a great Guests for you this week, the venerable Tim Brando of Fox Sports and uh, Fox. All the cover Tim covers college hoops, college football for Fox Sports. 
He's covered the Big East all year, the Big 12, a little bit of the Big 10 as well. We are going to have a uh, great chat with Tim. I want to thank, you can find Tim on Twitter at Tim Brando. And want to give a shout out to my guy, Mike Grace, host of the Press Box radio show that I am uh, very fortunate to have the opportunity to to co-host from time to time. It's uh, Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 uh, a.m. Eastern time. You can check out uh, the, the, you can download the app at pressboxradio.com is the website. Or you can go on your, uh, your Google apps or Apple apps and the the stores and you can download the free press box radio app as well and you can listen on demand but we start out our chat with talking with tim about the alabama crimson tide and who in that half of the bracket in the they are in the south bracket who tim thinks can give alabama a run obviously we have carnage in that bracket with san diego state princeton and creighton left and tim brando is going to start start out our chat given his thoughts on who can give Alabama some problems in the South region. Well, Timmy B, I, I, I'm more on number two because I had Arizona winning it too, so I'm right there with you, partner. Yeah. And, uh, and I had Duke on the on the bottom half of that bracket, and they got wiped. And t- give Tennessee all the credit. They You talk about a manhandling physically. Tennessee yeah. laid it on to Duke Saturday Phil, in Orlando. Phil, yeah, Filipowski was just being abused. Yep. Uh, and you know what? He, he stayed with it. He – he fought he through it as he best did. he could, but he but he was abused. I mean, uh, Tennessee's front line was just awesome on the glass, and how they have done this without their best playmaker in Ziegler being gone is a hell of a coaching job by Rick. And I personally have known Rick since he was an assistant coach for Wimp Sanderson in Alabama yep. way back in the day. Then he went on to become a head coach uh, at Providence and Clemson. Uh, before getting to Texas, he was great wherever he was. He has not had as much tournament success for the period of time that he's been a head coach as maybe uh, he would have liked. But all that tells me is that the tournament gods owe him to some extent. You know, maybe maybe the iron will be a little more kind uh, in key <laughs> moments for Coach Barnes's team. Uh, I like their chances. I do in either game. Uh, I think they can certainly handle FAU, and if they get. Um, Michigan State, I think they can win that game if they have to play that game. Talk talk about some of the parity in college basketball. I think I saw 11 conferences are represented in the Sweet 16. How cool is it, just from a global perspective of college yeah. basketball, that it's not dominated by the three or four power five conferences, that you got some variety from around the country, big leagues, small leagues, yeah. everything in between. Hey, well, how about this, this, this game? We're talking about FAU, uh, you know, and, and, and we're talking about um, – Princeton. Uh, teams like Princeton. I mean, I mean, we get uh, Ivy League versus Conference USA for the right <laughs> to go to the Final Four. <laughs> I mean, it is wonderful. I think it's great. Uh, you know, uh, the American Conference is represented by Houston. They still are, but they will be going into the Big 12. And I think they're ready to go into the Big 12 uh, to play their basketball under Kelvin Sampson. But, um, yeah, I think it's fantastic for college basketball when you see – these teams perform so well. You know, uh, it's funny. I thought Tennessee would lose to the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana in, right. down in Lafayette. Yeah. And you know what? They almost did. They did. They yeah. shot, look, the, the Cajuns shot 18% in the first half. Whew. Eight, 18% in that game. <laughs> I mean, they forget the iron being unkind. They couldn't get it to the, yeah. the iron. So, uh, 
but they only lost by three points. Yeah, came back from down 18. They were down 18 and came back to three. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's really been, when you think about it, the game that uh, was the hiccup. Tennessee played poorly in that game. But I think to survive that game gave them confidence, and then you saw them play more to the Tennessee style, more to the liking of their coach uh, in the second-round win. So, And that was a tough one for them to get. They really had to earn it, and they did. He is Tim Brando, Fox Sports, with us inside the press box. Only 16 coaches uh, are still uh, alive in this NCAA tournament. How about Eric Musselman at Arkansas, a guy who is trying to make the Elite Eight for the third straight season and doing so with a team now that's an eight seed coming into this year. It's been been an odd year for for, for the Razorbacks, but still Musselman's got them right back in with a shot for the Elite Eight. Well, look, their fans expect a lot. Uh, I think they're the most demanding fans in college basketball for the SEC outside of Kentucky. Wow. You know, Arkansas fans, because of the history of that program and the way they support it, they have demands. And and Musselman's team did not meet their demands. And we heard about it you know, through the course of the year, and so did Eric. But he is a great, I mean great, tournament coach. Uh, you go to three straight Sweet 16s. Uh, you know, I, I thought for years – uh, Wimp Sanderson was uh, undervalued and and not uh, not treated really the way he should have been uh, at Alabama uh, to go to four straight Sweet 16s, which his team did. I believe they won three straight SEC tournament titles during that period of time, uh, and he coached 11 years there. Uh, Musselman is doing; uh, he's on a track to do sort of what Wimp did, and to win as many conference tournaments and then go to Sweet 16s after that, that's not an easy thing to do. Think about all the conference tournament champions this past week. And I think I did say this the last time I was with you, uh, Mike. I, when People automatically think when you win a conference tournament that you've got all this mojo that's going to ride you all the way to the promised land in the Final Four. Take a look at how many teams lost in their opening round after winning their conference tournaments. And 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 were bounced either then or in the second round. It's uh, shocking, really, when you look at the number. Um, and I think the Big Ten really hurts itself playing their championship game late in the day on Sunday. Uh, I know it's a it's an important time slot. You're on right before Selection Sunday. You got more eyeballs. It's a game that I don't think the league wants to give up, but I think they should consider it. Because last year, Iowa won the Big Ten tournament. I had them going all the way to the Final Four. They were shooting the lights out with Keegan Murray and McCaffrey's kids. And um, they got bounced by Richmond in the opening round. And you saw what happened to Purdue, uh, losing for the only the second time to a 16 seed. I think these guys fight so hard to win their conference tournament. And when, you lo- when you're playing late on Sunday – you're losing really about a day and a half to the NCAA tournament field yeah. to get ready for the NCAAs. And and I think their legs are impacted. I think their emotions are impacted in a negative way. I, I would want my league to play its tournament title on Saturday afternoon <laughs> yeah. or, or early Saturday night, you know, not on Sunday or late Sunday afternoon. But as we Tim, know, do you th- t- t- a couple t- quick t- questions about upsets. Virginia, Purdue are the teams that obviously are the big stunners early in this tournament. Talk about, do you think guys like Painter and Bennett, do they need to change their offensive philosophies a little bit? Because they get into these games where, you know, Purdue always has a really good big man. They tend to play plotting, and Virginia plays really slow. Do you think 
They're great coaches. They've had great resumes. Do you think they need to change their offensive identity a little bit to adapt to a little more of the athletic up-and-down pace a little bit to avoid oh. being in situations where if you shoot – terrible in a 10 12 minute stretch you're on the verge of getting upset by one of these lower right teams i don't think you're going to see them change their coaching philosophies ever all right that won't happen what they do need is a point guard a pure prolific point guard that can create a game nobody is talking about this week that i think is going to be really compelling is that k-state michigan state game why Michigan State's going to have to be dealing with a point guard, a mighty might, sort of a uh, a, a spud web kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Only this kid, uh, Casey Noel, is is actually a better offensive player than Spud was. He can do more things. He can create. He can also make threes if need be. But the passes he makes to those kids at K State for just easy shots, he gets the ball in tight spaces to the guy right at the rim, right where he wants it. Passes that you would never think a guy could complete, he's able to complete. And Purdue didn't have that. You know, they had three uh, guards, but they were shooting guards, combo right. guards, not real point guards. And and that's what you got to have. When the year Tony won it, he had that kind of guard. People forget that. Um, but but I think Matt Painter is not necessarily as plotting as as uh, as Tony Tony is at Virginia. He just didn't have this year that kind of guard. He he relied on his defense more with Edie, and they didn't score as much as they did. They didn't have the uh, the speed and quickness on the wings that they had the year before. Jay Nivey, uh, Jay Nivey, yeah, Jay Nivey delivered when they had to get in an up and down game. He could make shots. Well, you saw what happened in this game. They they left these guards open. Willis didn't take a shot. Lawyer wouldn't take a shot. Uh, and those guys are pretty good shooters, but they they were not confident, and and then they couldn't get the ball to Edie because he was being collapsed on by three different guys. So I do think you have to have that at this time of year. You have got to have guard play. If you don't have great guard play, you're not going to last very long in the NCAA. So I don't think it's philosophies as much as it is. Make sure you've got. Uh, somebody that can deliver the ball. And if he happens to be able to shoot it well, too, fine. But you got to have a guy that can control the game in the backcourt. Backcourt control of the game, your quarterback, so to speak, needs to be prolific. And K-State's got that. How about we get into some coaching news? Uh, Rick Patino had said, look, he's only going to take a job, only going to leave Iona for a special place and a place where he thinks he could get to the Final Four. Is St. John's a place he can get to the Final Four, Rick? Or uh, Tim? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't think there's any question that uh, that he has that capability. But I think one, I, I was a little bit surprised that he, he jumped on it as soon as he did. I, I was of the belief that he was going to let them offer. And once they offered, then he was going to take a tour and see what the facilities really were. I'm sure Rick has done that. And he's also gotten some assurances about uh, how much they're going to spend, not necessarily on him. He, he's made enough money, but on, on the facilities so they can uh, have a little bit more of a balanced playing field when it comes to recruiting. Uh, years and years ago, in the foundation of the Big East, when Little Louie was having all that success with Walter Berry and Chris Mullen and uh, Bill Winnington and Mark Jackson, all those guys, 
those players were getting to live in the city. They were living in Manhattan for the most part. Uh, they got stipends. They got they did not have the facilities, a dormitory rooms on the campus at Queens. So they were able to use their stipends for for apartments in the city. OK, while they were going to school and those players loved it. I mean, they ate it up that they were the, the city's team when the Knicks sucked and they sucked for quite a bit uh, at times during that period. Uh, they became New York's team and they were uh, living in the city when you're young and people know who you are. Uh, that's your campus gets a lot larger. And I think when St. John's did the renovations, got those dormitories and players were being forced to live on campus, it hurt them mightily in recruiting. Uh, and, and even though the garden is the world's most famous arena and it, ha- it is magical, it impacts every kid that ever goes in there, no doubt about it. Uh, I think when you're only playing four or five of your home games in that building, and then you go back to a cracker box gym like Carneseca Arena, uh, even though it's got a lot of history too, uh, it, it makes home games feel like road games. You know, you got a bus in from Queens. Uh, they're, for the most part, staying in a hotel near the garden before the game, just like the way team is. And 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 that puts them behind a, a lot of the other facilities within the Big East. And the Big East is getting, you know, people talk about they don't have football money. Well, they're getting basically for their programs because the programs are smaller. They The football programs are generally Division two or three. Yep. Uh, they're not Division One. I. I think at one point Villanova might have been playing at the uh, Division One AA level, uh, yep. but that was as high as they ever got. The money they get from Fox is is consequential and heavy duty. Uh, whenever I hear somebody say Power Five in basketball, I'm like, no, no, it's Power Six. The Big East is every bit as big a basketball program as the SEC or the Big Tens or the Big Twelves, and they are. Uh, they they need to put that money to good use, and they've got some donors at St. John's that just got fed up and stopped stopped sending the money in. and And now with Patino, they've got a guy that automatically generates donor revenue uh, in ways that uh, Mike Anderson couldn't. It's what the compelling story at St. John's right now is. Mike Anderson did a good job. He he never had a losing season. He never got his team to the tournament, but he never had a losing season and. He has an $11 million buyout that yeah. St. John's is trying not to pay. They're saying now they're firing him for cause. Well, okay, what's the cause? We need yeah. to know. <laughs> and Mike has decided that he's going to file a lawsuit. And I think this is all about uh, Mike Craig, who's the AD, as a good friend of mine, came over from Duke. It was Coach K that actually recommended Mike for the job. Uh, he liked Mike a lot, thought a lot of him, and uh, understandably so. Mike's a good coach and a good man. But uh, eleven, an eleven million dollar payout plus the money you got to raise for facilities for Patino plus the money you want to pay Patino, that's a lot. My guess is St. John's is forcing the lawsuit uh, to come to fruition because they don't want to pay all eleven million dollars, and they'll probably wind up settling because you can't fire a guy like Anderson for cause. He's got too good of a reputation, and I think that uh, by answering this lawsuit. That will begin, uh, you know, debate, and probably an arbitrator will come in uh, for both parties, and they'll they'll organize a settlement. You'll get maybe five and a half or six million dollars to walk away, about half of it. But that's what I see happening. But it's a great hire for New York, great hire for St. John's, and 
I think the league office really loves seeing this. Okay. Ed Cooley's one of the most charismatic guys out there. Uh, and I'm shocked that he left Providence because that's where he was born and raised. Uh, he's a kid from the projects of Providence. Yeah. But I think he probably in his heart of hearts thought, man, they're opening the Brinks armored truck here. Uh, Georgetown's a brand and a big city. I've never coached at a place like that. You know, he had been an assistant for Al Skinner at uh, Boston College. Uh, but that's as big a program as he's ever been a part of. And that was as an assistant coach. So this is great for the league because they need to get Georgetown and St. John's back on track. It's great that the league is this good, fellas. But when your best teams are in the Midwest, Creighton, Marquette, uh, Xavier, uh, th- those teams on the Eastern Seaboard need to get it going so your television ratings can get a bump. The good thing that that uh, Cooley and Patino will be able to do as well is they'll be able to tap into the money of D.C. and the money yeah. of Wall Street from an NIL perspective and from yeah. a transfer portal perspective. Patino will be able to get guys, a kid from California that maybe is not happy out on the West Coast, a yeah. kid from yeah. the Midwest. Cooley will be able to have all those relationships on the East Coast. So if a kid's not happy in the ACC, he well, might be able to get a kid to come to Georgetown and, and St. John. Yeah. He had a, he had eight transfers on his team. Right. From a team that he, he lost everybody pretty much yep. from that team that won the Big East outright last year. And that was one of the magical things about his season this year. Now, it didn't end well for him uh, because the schedule caught up to him. He had a lot of tough games at the end of the season. He got backloaded. His team probably slipped from the seven line to the 11 line uh, in the NCAAs. But, my God, uh, to do that uh, with, with essentially a completely new basketball team just tells you how, how he can get transfers to buy in. Those guys love playing for him. And, trust and the me, high school will... scene in D.C. and New York City as well. They'll be able yeah. to keep the big prospect from leaving D.C. and New York City, those two guys. Yeah. I suspect – and I tweeted this out yesterday. Providence is is on the clock now. What are they going to do? Because uh, he elevated that job to a big-time job. Providence was struggling. I mean, they really, if you look back through their history, Patino took them to the Final Four in 87. Rick Barnes came and launched his career, yep. won a Big East title in 94. But really between the time that Barnes left and the time that Cooley got there, that's a long time. That's a period of about – 15 to 20 years, they were off the grid, so to speak. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so who they get next is really important. And Providence now has the revenue, has a brand, a reputation uh, that Ed created for them. And I think the potential of getting Bobby Hurley is real. I think uh-huh. Arizona State is just, they've never really bought in. I think Bobby misses the East Coast. Can you imagine the rivalry between Danny Hurley at Connecticut and Bobby Hurley, his, his little brother at Providence. And, of course, his dad would love it, you know, Bob Sr., uh, who coached at St. Anthony's for all those years in Jersey City. Man, oh, man, that'll be, the Big East is smiling right now. Yeah. they got three teams in the Sweet 16, and they just got one of their best coaches to D.C. and a legendary coach in New York City. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to be a first-time home buyer? looking to upsize or even downsize your current property situation, reach out to Jason Powers at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404, anywhere in the state of Florida. Let's get you pre-approved, figure out how much money 
how much house you can afford, whether it's an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo loan, even bank statement loans if you're self-employed, we can help you. You need to buy, you want to build a home. We got a new construction loan available for you. Are you looking to renovate your home? There are renovation loans available and we are experts in the renovation loan it part of the uh, home financing business. Reach out to me, Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. From Miami to Orlando to Jacksonville in Pensacola and anywhere in between, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending where it, my loan gets you into your home. Mike Grace along with Jason Powers and Tim Brando for one more segment here out of Fox Sports. Tim, we were talking coaches. What about uh, Rodney Terry at Texas? How do the Longhorns hire anybody but him after what he's done this season? Well, you know, Del Conte, their AD, is a big names hire guy, a lot like uh, uh, the LSU athletic director, Scott Woodward, is, you know, get the biggest name, splash name, win the press conference kind of AD. Um so I'm sure that there's still that yearn for Del Conte, who I, I do respect. I think he's a really good athletic director. He really helped uh, TCU build their total athletics program before he left to go to Texas. But, yeah, you're right. How do you not give it to Terry? I think it would be a public relations gaffe for him to do anything other than that. Look at what the guy's done, you know, since he took over. I never thought that Texas would would get on that kind of a role. They certainly didn't get on that role when they had Chris Beard. Now, Chris is an outstanding coach. His situation, uh, notwithstanding, is, is, is another story. I know you want to talk about that, too. But at Texas, uh, to me, it's got to be this guy. The players love him. They play hard for him. And in every crucial situation they faced, they've answered the bell. Micah Shrewsbury, I, I meant to mention this, the Penn State coach, who was coach of the year uh, candidate. I think I think Chris Collins actually got coach of the year, but he was right behind him. Micah, uh, a longtime assistant coach, finally got the job at Penn State. I believe that uh, Providence is going to make a, a move on him too. Matt, they may they may force Shrewsbury to say no to that job, which I think he ultimately will, and that'll open the door for Bobby Hurley. But uh, Terry has done, certainly, from an assistant's perspective, the greatest job maybe ever taking over as an interim. Uh, He could certainly win his way in for sure if he gets to the Final Four. But in my mind, they'd be making a mistake if they they didn't choose him right now. As a matter of fact, it might be a momentum builder to announce him as the head coach right now. You know, don't you think? I think think it could help him big time in these upcoming games. Um, but that's that's how I feel about that Texas situation. I know you probably want to discuss Ole Miss a little bit too, right? Give your thoughts on Chris Beard. I mean, obviously the the, the situation at, at Texas, and then I I mentioned it a month ago when they first hired Kermit. I said Chris Beard would be a great hire, a mid level SEC job. I think yeah. where he can elevate he and Lane Kiffin together on that campus. That that oh. would be an interesting <laughs> dynamic well, there as well. Well, Keith Carter is a former basketball player. I covered him and Michael White when Michael was the point guard at Ole Miss uh, playing for first it was um, Rod Rob uh, Evans, and yep. then it was uh, Rod Barnes, who was Rob's point guard. And they took Ole Miss to the NCAA. As a matter of fact, uh, yep. in the, the, the 2000 season, they played Michigan State in the 
second round when Izzo was on his way to his only national title yep. against Billy Donovan. And you know what? Ole Miss played better against them than Florida did. <laughs> they were they were a good team. Keith Carter could knock down shots, and I know he cares about college basketball a lot. The Pavilion is a really underrated, great home court place. And once they get the players in there, that was the issue for Kermit. Uh, Kermit was a great coach uh, and, and did a hell of a job with John Brady at LSU. I uh, had his uh, hiccup there at A&M, but w- what he did at Middle Tennessee was incredible. Yep. And, and, and to get that team to a Sweet 16 was magnificent. But, you know, at this level today, you got to get players. And he could never uh, out-recruit Mississippi State or Alabama. Or any, that's a tough job. We're talking about the football job being tough. I think in basketball it's even tougher. So Beard gives them a chance to get players. Some coaches you know will always get players. Um, you know, uh, Scott Drew is always going to get players to Baylor. You just know that. You always know that certain coaches just have that, that they have that network that's working with them to help them get great players. And Beard is no different. I think he will absolutely pump up their recruiting efforts. They'll do well in Memphis. They will actually make life harder on Penny Hardaway. Uh, with Kermit there, Penny was getting pretty much anybody he wanted in the Mid-South. So I'm with you there. I think it, I think it's a great hire for Ole Miss. Speaking and, of- and by the way, what happened to that guy, what happened to him could happen to countless other people and countless other vocations. And if the, if the uh, charges are dropped, and I don't care how the charges are dropped, they're dropped. Right. Uh, Ole Miss has got to be looking out for itself. And I, I trust that Keith Carr vetted him uh, very, very well before making this choice. One more coaching question. Speaking of getting players, a guy that gets players every year, but in my opinion, maybe it's getting a little stale, is John Calipari in Lexington. Just mm-hmm. your thoughts about Cal and just the last four or five years there in Lexington, they've really not gotten to the to the mountaintop where, where as you mentioned, that big blue nation expects has demands. Yeah, and – the reason for it is because it's such a part of their lives. You're right. You know, SEC tournaments and NCAA tournaments are, are what those fans use. They, they schedule their entire lives around being free for those weeks to go to those games. Yep. And that's that's why it always sounds like a, the Big Blue Invitational at the SEC tournament and uh, and like a Big Blue Invitational no matter what region they're sent to you know, in the opening rounds of the NCAAs. Uh, nobody knows that more than Cal. I will, you know, he's got thick skin. He does. Now, he, he'll sp- he'll spout some things back, and their fans don't like it, but that's just who he is. He's a combative guy. You know, right. Cal is a combative guy. Uh, I think the problem for him uh, this time is that Oscar Shibway decided to stay, and he couldn't get to the second weekend. You know, that's the player of the year. Uh, that kid you would have thought would have made a deeper run uh, into the NCAAs and didn't. Uh, the problem that they've had, I think uh, Calipari has been victimized by his own success. When you get that many great players, but you don't have as many role players, you run into some issues. And and um, I don't think the teams he's had have been together long enough to develop the kind of chemistry that you want to have. If you have a star player, one guy to build around, like that team that won the title in 12, uh, that was a team that brought back some players from a one-and-done era, and then they had the big fella that could really 
be the centerpiece for everything they did. Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis. And I think that with with a guy like Shibway, you're thinking the same thing ought to happen. Yeah, yeah. And it just didn't. It just didn't. And I think it's the ensemble of talent around him. They all want the ball. At some point, you gotta you got to have somebody that's willing to share the ball. You know, I, I'm oftentimes reminded of Dale Brown whenever I speak positively about him. Oh, yeah, that's the, you know, the, the naysayers will always come back and say, yeah, but that's a team that had Stanley Roberts, Chris Jackson, and Shaquille O'Neal and never got past the second round. Well, you know, there's some truth to that, yes. And I've Shaq many times has said, Stanley wanted the ball, Chris wanted the ball, I wanted the ball. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and that was the problem, you know, for that team. You can be victimized by your own recruiting success. Too many alpha dogs without role players, so-called grunts, okay, the guys that do the dirty work, that set the picks, that uh, give the ball up and want to give the ball up. you got to have some of those guys. And uh, I think sometimes great recruiting coaches can have that dilemma if they do too well in the recruiting area. Final couple of minutes with Tim Brando. Tim, we're going to put you on the spot. We're going to let you uh, redo your bracket now. We're down to 16 teams. So let's see where we go from here. Let's start in the East Regional where you got Tennessee, FAU, and then Kansas State and Michigan State. Who who advances in the, in that regional? Who makes it to the Final Four? Okay, here's my party crasher. My party, cra- party crasher is going to be Kansas State. Uh, I think I think Jerome Tang with uh, Noel, uh, the outstanding point guard, and with a uh, that's a team of grunts, fellas. Talking about grunts, they got them. Okay, and really good players, really good players, and and they know their role. And I think if they beat, you know, there's obviously Izzo is the he's the choice by many because of his great success in March, but they're just not as talented as they need to be, uh, unless Hogard really can neutralize. Uh, Noel, I think K-State Noel and K-State move on. I believe Tennessee can beat FAU and get to the Elite Eight. But the problem for them will be at that time, Ziegler's not there, and and that's an issue. When you go up against Kansas State, you've got to have a guard that can offset him because he's such a difference maker. So K-State comes out of that region for me. Well, again, that's matched up with the West, uh, which, again, as we said, is uh, Tennessee, FAU, Kansas State, Michigan State. Uh, you've got K-State coming out of the uh, East, it is. What about the West? They're, they're matched up with the West. That's it. Where Arkansas is the surprise eight seed. Then you got the two, three, fours. They'll take on the four seed, UConn, who looks awfully good. And then two, three yeah. is UCLA, Gonzaga. Well, the Bruins are really good. And I think uh, defense travels no matter where you have to play. The best matchup Thursday night is UCLA-Gonzaga. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. UCLA wants a grinder. They want to slow you down. You remember that game they played in 21 when UCLA and Gonzaga came down to that last shot that was unbelievable? Yeah. Yes. Uh, this is going to be a money game, and I think the winner of that game will march on. Uh, I, I'm going to go with um, my man Cronin and that defense of the Bruins. I think UCLA will beat Gonzaga, and I think they'll march on to the Final Four by winning the regional final as well. And uh, UConn is really good. I think they'll beat Arkansas. Yep. Uh, UConn certainly could beat UCLA, but I think the matchup's going to be really hard on them because Cronin is such a taskmaster from a defensive standpoint. He is. He is He is fun to watch on that sideline on these possessions when he gets on his guys <laughs> on the oh, man. mistakes. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? They love him. They absolutely love him. 
Some guys want to be coached that way. Yeah, yeah. And and he and and Izzo's been that like that for years. Yeah, tough love. I it's mean, right. if you're around Mick, you, you know that uh, at practice he's one of the boys. You know, he's one of the guys. He's in there chopping it up with them. Uh, Danny Hurley's got that quality about him too. I mean, he'll undress his players verbally in huddles like you wouldn't believe. But ultimately, as a former player, and the players know that he's a former player. They're down with that. It's kind of okay. Yeah, and then know? they know he's got he's got their back and he's in it invested in it just yeah. like just like they are. Let's move to the Midwest where we've got almost chalk uh, one versus five in Houston, Miami, and two three in Texas. Xavier, who comes out of that Midwest? I think Miami could stun people and win the the first game in this regional. I don't think that they can get that. Um, you know, I, I I think that Xavier. Uh, is a, is a team I'm going to keep an eye on. Miami, look, that is a quality team that just took down Indiana. And, um, you know, I, I, as I look at that particular region, fellas, uh, I'm just going to tell you, ultimately, Houston is getting – they're getting out of there. They are. They're going to find a way to get out of there, sort of similar to Cronin. Kelvin Sampson's teams find a way. Yeah. Uh, defensively, they, they can get stops. Sasser, you could see him getting better with that groin problem. And, uh, you know, Shed had his back when he had to leave the game a lot. And that impressed me, too, about uh, Houston the other night. I, I think Houston will come through. It won't be easy. And Miami is going to be a tough out. But I think um, ultimately uh, Houston will take down Xavier in that regional final. I think Xavier gets wow. to the next round. They'll take care of Texas. Xavier's got a lot of answers offensively. And Sean Miller's a great coach. I'd love to see Sean get to his first Final Four. The best coaches that haven't gone to Final Fours from a resume standpoint are in order. Jamie Dixon, uh, Sean Miller, and Matt Painter. Those three guys have been close. They've been to the Elite Eight multiple times. Um, Sean did it both at Xavier and at Arizona. People forget that Arizona-Illinois game back in 2005 that went to overtime that Bruce Weber won. The year North Carolina beat them in St. Louis. Sean had a great team that year and probably should have made it that particular season at Arizona. Uh, but I'm going to go with Houston because I just think the karma is too great. They're too consistent defensively. And in the South, you've got the number one seed, Alabama. If they can get by the five seed, San Diego State, they got either the six in Creighton or the 15 in Princeton. Can one of those Cinderella's keep Alabama from the Final Four? Well, I think Creighton has the best chance. Uh, but I'm not going to pick against Alabama. Uh, they, they're just too good, too solid across the board. And as I said, as we were coming on, you know, it's not the first or the last time that I'll be crucified uh, at the capstone for picking against Alabama early. But, you <laughs> join, know, I, join I, the crowd, yeah. fall off. <laughs> I didn't just suddenly fall off a turnip truck and not watch what I watched uh, this past weekend. So I think Alabama is going to get through and get to the final for it and make some history for basketball, which I think is a wonderful thing for the state and for the school uh, because they've always supported their basketball teams. Uh, They maybe didn't talk about it as much during the week as they talk about football, but they've always shown up, you know, at their home arena and have always been great fans. In the years that I did the SEC, some of the most enjoyable games I ever got to call were at Alabama. You know, we Tim, my home, my, real quick, my homework project for you this weekend, Tim, 
You and Spencer, I want you to break down the slip screen with Spencer on Thursday night. Got to break it down. How to get around the how to how to how to defend the pick and roll in the slip screen. That's your project with Spencer this week. <laughs> That's great. Well, here I will say this: the the, the best way to defend uh, the pick and roll is go zone. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, yeah. You know, just just ask the Boilermakers. Okay, right. Zach Eady did not get to run any pick and roll in the last 12 minutes of that game against uh, FDU, right? I mean, that did not right. happen. Right. So, uh, you know, say what you want about, uh, you know, these teams. Uh, but, frankly, that's the thing that just really coaching jumps out matters. These coaching moves these coaches make this weekend are going to be impactful in these games. Well, no doubt about it. And, and even more so than in football. And I know, and I know the helmet heads that are listening are going to be, oh, Brando, you don't know what you're talking about. College basketball coaches have had and still do have more influence during a football game than football coaches, head football coaches do. Yep. Uh, head football coaches come in about three different areas. You got your hands on, you got your CEO, you've got your, uh, you know, I'm an offensive coach that play calls plays. Yeah, I play give caller. autonomy yeah. to my defensive guys. Okay. You're either a play caller of offense or defense or you're a CEO like Brian Kelly at LSU. Yeah. In college basketball, you got to be all those things. I mean, all of those things. Yeah. And you're, you're a CEO in the huddle, but you are hands-on uh, with your team, and you, you're you using your assistant coaches as, as, uh, as scout guys. They're out doing the scouts. And one of the reasons why Tom Izzo keeps going to Sweet 16s, he's, this is his 15th, okay, in his career, and he's been to, my God, what is it, I don't know, eight Final Fours, is because his assistant coaches know, and I've always known, what their roles were. But you're going to play a certain way for Tom, or you're not going to play at all. And that's why his consistency has been so tremendous. Uh, who knows? He may shock the world and go back to the Final Four this year. K-State could have a bad day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I might be wrong about that. I mean, I, I would say of the four that we just picked, uh, Mike, uh, I would I would say of the four that I just picked, the one I feel best about picking is UCLA. Yeah, wow. Uh, I, I think I think UCLA because of the way they play uh, will get it done. Even more so than Alabama. I I still think if Alabama has a poor shooting day, yeah. And this is a new this is a new stage for this team. This is a young team that's never been to a Sweet Sixteen. Let's say Miller has an off day. Yeah. I've seen nothing but net so far. But, oh, boy, if the iron gets a little unkind. Great thanks to Tim Brando of Fox Sports for all of his great insight on the NCAA tournament, the Sweet 16, and all the coaching moves that are happening and could happen moving forward. I also want to thank Mike Grace, host of Press Box Radio, for allowing me to use our joint interview with Tim for the podcast. Enjoy the week and enjoy the Sweet 16. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.